Lord, open my lips that my mouth may proclaim your praise. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. All right, uh, question, rhetorical question. You don't need to raise your hands and respond. But how many of you hearing that gospel were going, well, those poor bridesmaids, couldn't they have shared with them a little bit? And uh, the answer is no. <laughs> That's not what the parable is about. Now, elsewhere, of course, do we know that Jesus calls us to share with those who are less fortunate than ourselves, absolutely, over and over again in the Gospels. But this is not about that. It's about personal responsibility. It's about uh, being responsibly prepared to greet the bridegroom ourselves, individually. Um, Note that the bridesmaids who were foolish um, were able to go and buy. They went to the dealers and nowhere do we hear that they didn't have the resources to go and purchase the oil that they hadn't thought to bring with them in the case that the bridegroom might be delayed. Jesus is talking about when he returns. We're in the 25th chapter of Matthew's Gospel. Very soon we will come to the Last Supper, to Jesus' betrayal, to his trial, uh, torture, and crucifixion. And so since chapter 24... He's been preparing his disciples not only for that event, but for what will happen, what he knows will happen, that he will return, that at the end of the age, he will come again. He has come and he will return. The king will return. And it's also what Paul is talking about to the church in Thessalonica. They are worried because the early Christians knew and they were hanging on to the fact that Jesus had said he would return. He was coming back. And they thought it was going to happen in their lifetime. Uh, The early church cried out, Maranatha, Lord, which means come, Lord Jesus, come back and return because they knew that at the return, sin would be done away with, suffering would be done away with, death would be done away with, evil would be done away with, there would be a new heaven, earth dimension, a new heaven and a new earth, as we heard about last week in in the John's Revelation. That there's a new creation coming where all of the darkness will be done away with. And so the early Christians were shouting out, come, Lord Jesus, come now, return. But that hadn't happened. And some of them were dying. And so they were asking Paul, so what happens to those who have died before the Lord came back? And he says, don't worry about it. 
He says, for this we declare to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will by no means precede those who have died. It's okay, those who have died, they will rise with the Lord. We will not precede those who have died for the Lord himself with a cry of command, with the archangel's call, and with the sound of God's trumpet, will descend from heaven and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive or left will be caught up in the clouds together with them to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. It does not say we'll live in the clouds forever. We don't get to become angels when we die. Different realm, different beings. We're still human. Um, And we don't live in disembodied uh, bodies um, at the Lord's return. We are with the Lord in spirit when we die. But this is about his return. And what, what he's talking about here is what would be happening with emperors and kings who had gone out, fought battles, and were coming back triumphant into their towns. At that point in time, what would happen is, is the shout would go out, kings returning, emperors returning, triumphant. So they'd, they'd flatten out the roads, the king's highway, so that any divots in the ground or any rocks would be taken and it would be a straight path for the king's re-entry. And then instead of waiting until he came in through the gates, they'd go out and meet him. And then there'd be a triumphal procession. Remember, Palm Sunday, triumphal procession. They went out from the gates of Jerusalem, brought Jesus back in in triumph. That's what this image is. When the trumpet sounds... At the last day, the beginning of new creation, completely new creation, at that time, we will, who are living, go up and meet the Lord, not as spirit, but in resurrected bodies. And so those who have died are even now in the presence of the Lord, but they'll rise in their resurrected bodies first. They'll be with the Lord. They'll be coming in with the Lord. Their resurrected bodies will meet the Lord and then we'll come back in procession with him to a new heaven and a new earth. And that's why they're saying, Maranatha, Lord, come, Lord Jesus, be done with evil and sin and death that currently infects this world. But of that day, and this is in chapter 24, no one knows. See a billboard on the side of I-4? It says, the end of the world is coming on such and such a date. Uh, Don't trust it. Ah, All of those books that have been written about the end times, the Left Behind series, don't trust it. Um, Because even Jesus doesn't know. In chapter 24, concerning that day and hour, no one knows. No one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. That it will happen, we can be assured. When it will happen, we do not know. And that's the whole point of the parable. There might be a delay. There's been a delay. He will return. So what are we to do 
in the in-between time. We're to be ready. We're to be prepared. And that's what this parable is about. Uh, Still in Middle Eastern culture, even yet today, there's kind of a a threefold happening as far as the wedding is concerned. It's kind of an engagement uh, when the two families get together and decide that their son is going to marry the other daughter. And so that's arranged. We'll remember that from, um, from Mary and Joseph. And then there's kind of a formal betrothal where, in essence, kind of vows are exchanged in front of witnesses. But the marriage is not yet consummated until the bridegroom comes to claim the bride. And he comes at an unexpected time. It's kind of part of the fun. You don't know from the time of the formal um, ceremony as to when the bridegroom is going to come claim the bride. And normally it's at night time. It adds to the whole uh, the, the whole aura, the whole feeling of it. And so they come at night time, which is why they need lamps. Um, to to be able to go in procession and see their way. So in the parable, the bridesmaids have heard that the groom is coming, and so they've gone to the bride's house to wait for the bridegroom to come because he's then going to come and they're all going to go in procession to the groom's house for a wedding banquet that might take a week um, to get through. Um, I don't know about you, any of you have married off any uh, sons or daughters, you know that just one supper will break the bank, let alone a week's worth. But there may be going in for a week's worth of celebrations here. And so it's a wonderful time. But what happens is that five of them have been wise. It's not about intellectual acuity, it's about prudence. It's about have they been responsible to think and to know that sometimes the bridegroom might be delayed. So have you got enough? It's like in our day and age, uh, you've got a flashlight, needs two AA batteries or maybe two D-cell batteries, whatever. And so you take a couple more in your pocket in case the batteries run out. Well, that was the case. Now, You can't share batteries, can you, and have a flashlight work because you need two. You've got two. You put two in the flashlight. If your friend has run out of their batteries, it's no earthly good for you to give them one of yours because now neither flashlight is going to work. But Jesus is using this point to say it's about personal responsibility. You can't share your eternal life with somebody. They can't borrow your eternal life. You can share the gospel with them and they can make the decision themselves to follow Jesus and to receive eternal life. But it's individual. Each person is responsible to be individually prepared for when the bridegroom comes. See, we have this wonderful relationship with the bridegroom. He's coming. 
his returning. Throughout scripture, it talks about God being a husband, Israel being his wife, his faithless wife. Jesus talks about himself as the bridegroom and the church being his bride. The tenderness of that intimate relationship is how Jesus sees his relationship with each one of us. The bridegroom is coming to claim his bride. Are we prepared? You know, I, I like the Calvin and Hobbes uh, comic strips. You know, I, I like Schultz's comic strips as well. I kind of like comic strips. But anyway, um, those in particular. And there's one with, uh, with Calvin. He comes down with a, um, a space helmet on his head and he's got a cape around his shoulders and he's got a baseball bat in one hand and he's got a flashlight in his other hand and he kind of comes in and makes an entrance into the kitchen where his mum is and she looks at him and said, uh, what's up today? He says, well, nothing so far. So she says, nothing so far? He says, well, you never know, and then goes out the room again. And the, you see her thinking and, you know, reimagining this whole kit that he has, this get-up that he has on, and she's thinking to herself, there are some days I could really use that outfit. <laughs> well, we don't need all of that to be prepared. But we do be, need to be prepared. If Jesus were to return tomorrow, would you recognize him as a friend or a stranger? Would you know him? as the tender bridegroom who has come to claim his bride. Would you have spent time, not just to know the statistics in black and white, because after all, when we're dating, when we're uh, going out, walking out, as we used to say, we know some things about uh, the person who will become our spouse. You know, we've got the, the basics, height, you know, color of the eyes, color of the hair, uh, age, you know, some things about their background. But it takes time to deepen that relationship, to really get to know, we spend time talking spend time in conversation. And little by little, what happens is the trust deepens and the settled love deepens and we get deeper and deeper into a relationship. But it takes work and it takes time. That's true with our relationship with the bridegroom as well. It's true about our relationship with Jesus. We can read words for information. We can get a lot of information out of this book, but it's not just about that. It's about him actually leaping off the pages in full relief so that we need to spend time in the word, 
to know all of the contours of this person who calls us his bride. But we also need to spend time in quiet, just listening to his voice that will be in accord with his word. And spend that time to get to know him and to reveal ourselves more and more and more. He knows us. He knows the intimate places of our heart. But he seeks for us to know ourselves and open up ourselves to him and then hear his voice calling the beloved. There was a queen, Queen Mary of Orange, who was near uh, death. She was on her deathbed and her chaplain came to her wishing to console her with a reading of scripture. He was concerned whether or not she was prepared for this journey. She replied, I have not left the matter till this hour. She was prepared. She didn't leave it until the last hour. If Jesus were to return tomorrow, would we be ready to give a full accounting of how we have used the gifts and the talents that he has given us and the opportunities that he has given us to serve him and our fellow man? If he were to return tomorrow and ask us to give an account, would we be able to tell him that we had, been, we had done all that we could with all that he had given us? Martin Luther was asked the same question. If Christ returns this afternoon, what will you do? He was out in his garden about to plant an apple tree. He said, I'd still plant this apple tree. He felt secure in the knowledge that with what God had given him, he had done as much as he possibly could to serve God and his fellow man. If Christ were to return now and we were to encounter him face to face, and his loving eyes would look into our hearts, would there be anything that we would be ashamed for him to see there? Jonathan Edwards believed in this parable so strongly that he felt compelled to write down on paper a resolution, resolved to live with all my might while I do live, to live fully while I do live, resolved never to lose one moment of time, to improve it in the most possible way I can, resolved never to do anything out of revenge, Resolved never to do anything which I should be afraid to do if it were the last hour of my life. In our confession, we ask for forgiveness for those things done and those things that are left undone. We're to keep short lists. The Lord has asked us to forgive others immediately. 
that we will be forgiven as we forgive others. He's asked us to not hold on to unforgiveness. If Jesus were to return now, is there any unforgiveness in us that we should work on right now? Is there anything that we have done that we need to repent of and receive forgiveness right now? Is there anything that we should be doing? Any love that we should be extending? Any words of appreciation that we have held in that should be spoken or written, verbalized, and given forward. There's a story of a businessman, a very, very wealthy uh, businessman, successful businessman. And he came to a time in his life where none of that seemed to have any value. In fact, he slid into deeper and deeper and deeper into a depression. And a friend of his came to him and said, Have you written or spoken words of appreciation? Have you sent out to somebody a word of thanks? I thought that's a really funny question to ask somebody who's in the depth of depression. But he went home and he thought about it and the first person that came to mind was his third grade teacher. She had made such an impact on his life and he'd held it in his heart, but he'd never said anything. So he found she was still living and got her address and wrote her a letter and said, I just want you to know how much your class and you meant to me at that point in my life. And by return mail, he got a letter back from her. And she said, I am... Shedding many tears as I'm writing this to you. It's the first time in all of my years of teaching that any of my students have written back to me how much they appreciated what I did in those classrooms. She said, you cannot imagine how much I appreciate your words are the things that we keep pushing off, thinking that we have another day to do them. If the Lord were to return tomorrow, would he find a friend and not a stranger? The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet and the door was shut. Later the others also came, Sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. Are we those like the first five who are prepared, even though there's a delay, whose light still shines brightly, Have we done the most we can do with the opportunities God has given us, with the gifts he has given us? Have we been faithful in our service to God and our fellow man? Have we gotten rid of anything in our life of which we might be embarrassed or ashamed? How is our relationship with the bridegroom himself? 
Is he a stranger or a friend? Do we know him as our best friend? As the bridegroom who comes to tenderly take his bride. May we be that people and say with the early Christians, Maranatha, Lord, come, Lord Jesus. Amen.